millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about Sam Foster, the first wolf born who can take human shape. I, the leader of the vampires... No opportunity when I see one, and so I imprison Sam and the rest of his kind and make them slaves. During the day, they do hard labor, and at night, they protect my castle. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, Sam falls in love with my daughter, Sonia, and knocks her up. Obviously, when I find this out, I immediately execute her. Uh, Sam takes this quite badly, because he's a pussy. Uh, He escapes into the forest and rallies an army of werewolves and local disgruntled humans to attack my vampire stronghold is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of Underworld Free Rise of the Lycans. This, in fact, is a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is my tortured friend, with a dislike of silver and a penchant for leather, <laughs> Sam Monster. <laughs> Brilliant film. My favourite film. This week, Danny and I went on a hot date to see How to Be Single, the raucous comedy that challenges rom-com conventions by being a complete mess and making absolutely no sense. Stick around to find out whether we liked it or not. Still here? We didn't like it. Plus, Danny watched Goosebumps. Not that film about the house with a flock of geese trapped under the floor and they keep knocking their heads against the underside of the floorboards. Not that film about the guy who keeps pinching people's asses and leaving swollen marks, but a monster-filled kids romp adapted from the popular series of spooky stories. We also round up all the action from the Oscars, asking many listener questions, such as what was your favourite highlighted social issue, which Ali G gag was the least funny, and how appalled were you by Jenny Bevan's failure to dress like a fairy princess. My god, Jenny. All that should leave just enough time for me to present my own awards ceremony, the Fosters. It's a lot like the Oscars, but with 27 times more categories, and no one cares. No one cares. from Tom Garud. Hello, Tom. He says, Hey, Danny and Sam, in order of most likely to star in Woody Allen's next TV project. Yes! I'm st- yes! I, I don't know what that means. Still loving the show. I've been thinking and felt like I should share. 
Birdman is to the Academy as Boyhood is to Film Chat. Food for thought. Yours thoughtfully, Tom. Yeah. Cryptic message, Tom. Because, like, Birdman is not that good, neither of the Academy. Yeah. Whereas Boyhood is amazing, and so are we. Oh, yes. You've cracked it. That's a great point. So we're... It's like... Like, Birdman was as overrated by the overrated Academy as <laughs> <laughs> Boyhood is rated, rated by the, well, also very well rated and correctly so film chat. Good Perfect. point. Thanks, Good point, Tom. Tom. That's actually very flattering. But I still can't work out why um, Danny is more likely to star in a Woody Allen TV show than me. Oh, come on, Simon. It's obvious. I clearly do the better Woody Allen impression, Danny. You, you, your, your impersonation's very accurate. I mean, you get a lot right, but it's just missing one or two little touches that I think really elevate it. You can do the stuttery Woody, but I do the, the, the exasperated Woody much much better than you, I think. And we think we should co-star. Yeah. We should co-star. Great message, Tom. Um, very complimentary, giving us ideas for our Woody Allen TV show. Yeah. Thank you very much. Woody on Woody. So obviously it was the Oscars this weekend, and that is obviously... Cause a lot of opinions to be made mm-hmm. and shared. Mm. One such man who did this was Dougal McQueen. He wrote in with a charming message and he's requested that you read it. Okay. Dougal says, <laughs> Please could Sam read out my interpretation of what the Oscars thought of Jenny Bevan in the voice of Oscar the Oscars? So maybe we should explain. This is probably the big controversy of the night. In Bevan. They, yeah. They covered every um, social issue but they still managed to do something offensive. Funnily enough, the exact same source of the controversy from the BAFTAs, Jenny Bevan. Stephen Fry insulted Jenny Bevan by saying she looked like a bag lady because she wasn't all dressed up in fancy do's. She was just in her... Well, she just was wearing like a scarf and a sort of jacket. Yeah. Not in an incredible dress. And she, she obviously didn't change that approach for the Oscars. And people started circulating this Vine video of her walking past various luminaries and them looking at her like, who is, what is, what do you do this woman? Yeah. What's she doing? Um, Giannarito had his arms crossed. He's got his arms crossed. He's looking at her like, what? What is this? Yeah. What Tom, is this woman? <laughs> Tom McCarthy was also looking at her like, oh my God, what am I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Yeah. And none of them are clapping, even though she's coming up to collect her Oscar. So that's ruffled a few feathers. And um, Oscar the Oscars, <laughs> whoever that is, he said this, according to Dougal, Dougal reports, You didn't do poofy dresses for this one, but you've done poofy dresses before, right? Are you wearing that? Look, auteur Alejandro Iñárritu doesn't look impressed, and he slept in a horse. No, don't thank anyone. We'll put a shitty graphic on the screen. No, you've had five seconds already. Don't you know how many dreadful jokes and songs we have to fit in? What? You want to say something about climate change? Fuck off. Leo's gonna do that later. Music, 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 music. All up in your ears. Fuck off now. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what he said. I just bumped the mic. I found that so funny. That was brilliant. Thanks. I think that be, we should maybe inherit that as like a regular character for film chat. Oscar, Oscar the Oscar the Oscar. Oscar, Oscar the Oscar. Like a sort of, you know, Elmo type figure. <laughs> Angry, posh, shouting man. Yes. I think that adequately sort of captures the general reaction to Jenny Bevan. It's quite bizarre, yeah. really. It's like 99.9% of everyone there is addressed to the tits, you know? Yeah. Um, even little... Um, Jacob Tremblay. Jacob Tremblay. He looked like a prince. Yeah, little princeling. And 
you think they could really cope with like a single woman who wasn't doing that, but I think she's a total badass. Everyone it, loves her now. There's like an extra long video, you know, where you see her walk up a little bit further yeah. and they eventually start clapping and some people are like, see, they're clapping. But I still feel like you it know It was a bit like who's this? She's not in our club. Yeah, it, it was a bit like that. It's quite unfortunate. So anyway, Danny and I stayed up to watch the Oscars. I've never done that before. You've done that, right? I've done that twice. Twice. Thrice. Three times. So this was your third. This lead. was your third time round. Yeah, three time. Yeah, third time getting all the way through. You know, after the monologue, it, it loses its appeal slightly. Absolutely, you've really got to like dig in with it. Um, and uh, I've never done it before, so I was, you know, it's going to be a new experience for me. So I thought that would be appealing, even though I had word the next day. So I'm pretty much a hero. Yeah, you're a hero. Um, and we sporadically paused to record our reactions at the time. And now you're going to enjoy a highlights reel of, you know, I don't know, highlight is probably a bit strong, but a small selection <laughs> of some of the crap we said at various different points during the evening, uh, lovingly compiled by Katie. We're a bit drunk and a bit tired in, in all of them. Yes, but like more so as it goes along. Okay, hello listeners. Hey. This is coming live from the room in which we're watching the red carpet live. It's 20 to 1. It's 20 to 1, so we're just getting warmed up. Um, just checking been... out the frocks and the suits. Yeah, seeing who everyone's wearing and what they're wearing. We're a bit late to the party because we're watching The Wolverine, the, the uh, classic Hugh Jackman film. Yeah, so nothing has happened yet. We just saw a bit of Jimmy Kimmel, a little bit of Matt Damon, a bit of Kerry Washington. Yeah. And nothing has happened. And nothing will happen for a long time. We've got we're a few gonna, beers. We've got a few beers. We're going to settle in and we'll catch up again with you a little bit later. Yeah. Please welcome your host, Chris Rock. Well, I'm here at the Academy Awards, uh, otherwise known as the uh, White People's Choice Awards. Uh, you realize if they nominated host, I wouldn't even get this job. So y'all be watching Neil Patrick Harris right now. We're back. The time is 5 to 2 a.m. We've just had the first two Oscars plus the Chris Rock monologue. Yes. The big news is that Chris Rock crushed it. He crushed it. People were expecting him to tackle the diversity issue head on. He absolutely did. Pretty much tackled nothing else. <laughs> he didn't really <laughs> Exclusively mention, about the diversity didn't really issue. didn't anything else. And it was a very sharp, barbed monologue. I think the thing that was so great about it is that it was a room full of people who were absolutely prepared to laugh politely along with his race jokes, but it was slightly more sharp than they were necessarily expecting. Yeah, yeah exactly. They were a little taken aback, and the, the joke about um, the In Memoriam <laughs> section featuring only black people who've been killed by cops this year was like, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. <laughs> he was like determined to make everyone as tense as possible. Yeah. But like also make them laugh at the same time. They really lucked out booking him before the diversity issue came oh, to yeah. light. Absolutely. Okay, you gotta figure that it happened in the fifties, in the sixties. You know, really like you know, in the sixties, one of those years, Sydney didn't put out a movie. I mean, some of those years, say sixty-two or sixty-three, and black people did not protest. Why? Because we had real things to protest at the time. You know. Too busy being raped and lynched to care about who won best cinematographer. <laughs> you know, when you when your grandmother's swinging from a tree, 
It's really hard to care about best documentary foreign short. Hello. Hey. The time is quarter to four. Bloody hell. Danny and I have now cozied up in bed together. It's quite nice and domestic. Yeah. That's lovely. How have you found the ceremony so far? It's pretty good, I think. Chris Rock continues to try and make everyone as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> I find very funny. Yeah. He got uh, Louis C.K. in. You, these people will never be rich as long as they live. So this Oscar means something, because all they do is tell stories that are important. Now, you all do, but you also get rich. But these people... All they got is this Oscar is going home in a, in a Honda Civic. Bit strange having a sort of up-tempo version of Rehab playing when Asif Kabardia and his producing partner accepted for Best Documentary for Amy. Amy's music's so fun! <laughs> hey, yeah! It's like, you know, because that song is already bitterly ironic, but to play it when the film is dramatised, a woman drinking herself to death. <laughs> yeah. Right, so we've got a, still got another hour. Jesus. To go of this. I'm excited. I guess maybe we'll check in again before the end if we're awake. Yeah. And yeah. We're not too busy spooning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the night's going one or two ways. <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> All right. And the Oscar goes to. Spotlight. <laughs> This film gave a voice to survivors, and this Oscar amplifies that voice, which we hope will become a choir that will resonate all the way to the Vatican. Pope Francis, it's time to protect the children and restore the faith. Hello. Morning. Morning, listeners. Good morning. Or whatever time it is. It's 8.33am. We were planning to record a little wrap-up message after the end of the Oscars at 5am, but we we just wrapped ourselves up into duvets and (laughs) first. Yeah. So, yeah. Final thoughts, Danny? I was very pleasantly surprised that Spotlight won. Me too. And almost, maybe this is a, a quite pessimistic mindset, but I'm almost like... Half glad at that one, but also slightly even more glad that the Reverend didn't win. Yeah, because you know, I really felt it like wasn't that good. Well, the view on Twitter definitely appeared to be that Mad Max Fury Road is brilliant and the Reverend is not as brilliant as uh, the Academy had recognised. Yeah, like everyone was really rooting for George Miller and Mad Max, and there was quite a bit of um, the Reverend bashing, except from Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, uh, solidarity with Mexican director friend. Yeah, so I think that there was a lot of general um, happiness when it didn't win Best Picture because people didn't think it deserved to. Yeah, well, it didn't. Well, it didn't. Quite right. Leo finally got his Oscar. He's got his little bold statue of a golden and man. Now he's complete. Yes. Now he can stop this terrible search. Now we'll probably settle down, <laughs> get married, have children, give up acting. Do you reckon that's what it's been all these years? There's a dog here now. Oh, hello, Bella. So... Yeah, it was fun. Now I got to go to work uh, on three and a half hours sleep. Well, less three hours sleep. I got to walk this dog. So I think that actually, I don't think I've changed my mind much about what we said. There, we were we? on it. We were like, bam, nailed it, nailed our reactions. Yeah, something we didn't cover in the highlight reel was that Morricone won his first Academy Award at the 
age of 400, I think. 1931. Yeah, but it's, you know, super legendary guy. And it wasn't even like a sympathy Oscar, like thanks for the minute. It was an actual like really brilliant piece of music. Yeah, he earned his Oscar more than Leo did. Leo's was more of a sympathy Oscar than Marconi's. Um, Spotlight winning was obviously absolutely fantastic. There was a lot of general outpouring of relief, I think, um, on Twitter and stuff. I was going to say that we made a few comments on Twitter and at the time about the sort of um, odd musical cues, but it didn't really occur to me until afterwards how often that had actually happened. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) they kept playing the Ride of the Valkyries in order to get people to leave the stage, which is really funny. Like <laughs> people were talking more than ten seconds. We were like dun 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 dun. It was like shit. Fucking uh, Vietnam War's breaking out. You know, like, they got to leave the stage immediately. Um, that was and, odd. And they did that. Other, what was that other odd thing they did where they announced uh, the, minions. the minions were going to come on and the Ghostbusters music started playing? I was like, someone is deeply confused about <laughs> <laughs> their sort of cartoonish fun films. But yeah, it was quite good fun. Wasn't it? It was one of the better Oscars of recent years, partly because of just the controversy. Exactly, made it, it like, made it gave it gave a story it, immediately. The winners, like even no one thought Mad Max was going to win, but the, the fact that it sweeped those categories and they're like consecutively was awesome. It yeah, was yeah. Like, you know, we all know what the best film is. You there know, was a real was like, uh, buzz in the Mad room. Max section of the evening. Everyone yeah. was really happy to see it win all that stuff. Do you reckon there's going to be a massive swing the other way next year, and there'll just be uh, no white actors nominated? That would be incredible. That would be amazing. 20 black actors. I would love it if the whole conversation was about, like, where did the white straight men go? <laughs> like, didn't, I don't understand. Like, couldn't anyone fit a white straight man into a film this year? Where yeah. are those guys? Yeah, Brian Cranston and Michael Keane are just like, you know, the noses pressing into the glass, <laughs> trying to get in. Yeah. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's been to print. So, so. the minions. No, what am I thinking? Ghostbusters. <laughs> that's the crazy Oscars confusion. It's easy to make that mistake. Yeah, the trailer for the lady-centric Ghostbusters dropped today. Yeah, and we've been looking forward this looking forward to this for a while. Woo! So, <laughs> Katie promised us a woo earlier when that when the movie came up, and she's delivered big time. It's not an amazing trailer. I think no one's saying that. There seems to have been some meh. There's been some mixed marriage, but I am such a sucker for Ghostbusters. When I saw the graffiti Ghostbusters sign on the subway, I was like, "Oh my god, New York yeah. Ghostbusters!" And I'm a sucker for the four women in it as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I was just. Yeah, I feel like they pretty much just had to show them hanging around and making a few possible jokes and getting into costume. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was happy enough. And it, I, it's just, I think it's just like the fact of these four incredibly cool people all hanging out in the same movie. I'm just inherently on board with that. And that obviously is what's happening, touching from the trailer. So. Absolutely. And it also, they're not playing riffs on the original quartet. Like, yeah. even though. Leslie Jones is like the sort of Winston type outsider who joins the trio. I guess that's the one similarity. I kind of wish that they had not done that because <laughs> it, in the originals, he is always the really like a fourth wheel. And because he's black and the rest of them are white, almost just like enhances the kind of divide between them. You know, like he can't ever quite get in on their sort of white trio. You mm. know what I mean? He's yeah. always on the sidelines a bit, Winston. He doesn't get the best lines, except I love New York. <laughs> or, I, I love, love this, town. this town. I love this town. Uh, and also Leslie Jones is like not the egghead and she's like, I know the streets or something. And I can understand that 
someone might see that as like a bit of a racial stereotype but it looks like a lot of fun it looks cool um they've like souped up the proton packs they've got like proton guns now kate mckinnon looks like she's cool in it yeah i just hope that it doesn't go down the force awakens route of relying too heavily on callbacks like in the first second of the trailer Kristen wig gets slimed and they're also looking at a ghost who looks very similar to the library ghost from the beginning of Ghostbusters. No human being with stack books as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, fine. I mean, I understand that they will obviously reference the originals to an extent, but it's just like, I hope it's... I like the fact that they're not riffs on the original characters as far as we can tell, and I hope that it kind of sticks to the just having those four women do their thing rather than dragging them down with loads of references to the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. It didn't blow me away, but it didn't. It made me excited. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't exactly confirm that the movie will be bad or anything. I still have a lot of faith in Paul Feig yeah, and yeah. those people to deliver some quality. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Humorous entertainment. Yeah. So we love to discuss racial issues on the podcast. because I know all about them. Because we know all about them and we know how to resolve them. And we know what's right and wrong in all such situations. Absolutely. And the latest bit of vaguely racial uh, stuff to have happened is that Marvel is casting their series of Defenders TV shows. The next one coming up is Luke Cage following on from Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And then the fourth one is Iron Fist. And uh, that's one they just cast. And Iron Fist is certainly probably the most outdated, I would say, of the original concepts from um, the comic books. And it's funny, really, because comic books are so mainstream now and they're adapting every one that they can lay their hands on. And they're all made in a completely different era. You know, they're all old properties for the most part. Jessica Jones isn't, but like all the others are really old. And occasionally these things crop up that you would never do them that way now. Yeah. But for some reason they feel, you know, obliged to stick with what they had before and then like try to cope with it. So Iron Fist, it's a kind of martial arts guy, but he's like a white guy who's obsessed with Kung Fu or something. And he gets some super magical fist powers by placing his hand in a molten dragon heart. And uh, it's a kind of Bruce Lee riffing superhero thing. Okay. um, Except he's white. So it's just a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird on two levels. First of all, that there's uh, the the kind of racial appropriation thing has happened in the comic book. Um, And also on the fact that if you... If it was an Asian thing, it still seems like um, a bit of Orientalism, you know, like the exotic uh, Asian peoples with their crazy Kung Fu ways. (laughs) And there was a piece that Devin Fratchie wrote on Birth Movie's Death about this when he described the casting decision as a lose-lose situation because if they cast a white guy, then it's like, why is this white guy playing your martial arts person? Like, don't you have enough white guys in your stupid universe? And if they cast an Asian guy, it's a stereotype. Yeah um and uh i think that's true i don't really know what the best thing to do with it is except not do that like does it have to be him like yeah is yeah, there something yeah, so yeah. incredible about him that they have to use him you or? don't you don't read iron fist iron fist best character ever 
yeah you know like when you get to the point when when you're using superheroes that aren't much in mainstream consciousness anyway like why not just avoid those ones yeah it's a bit of an odd it was a huge demand for the iron fist uh I don't know. I think I think the whole idea of the Defenders crossover with those four TV series com- becoming one thing, I think that exists in some form in the comics anyway. And Iron Fist is like the pal of Luke Cage or something. Right. Luke Cage is also a black exploitation superhero who I think was called Power Man at some point. Wow. But it kind of works better if you just, you know, he's yeah. just a super strong black guy. And uh, he doesn't, like, you know, eat soul food and listen to hip-hop and is constantly <laughs> yeah. being wrongfully arrested as he or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, if, if the original comic had those elements, you can just, you know, extract the fact that he's black and has those powers. This and might be, that. like, a bit of a non-sequitur, but it would be amazing if, like, they addressed, like, Black Lives Matter and, like, they tried to, like shoot luke cage but he couldn't be killed he's like the every white cop's fear like (laughs) well i think apparently they i don't know if it will be super political the tv show but i understand that the luke cage show will in some way address the issues of being a working class black guy in new york um but maybe they will use the bizarre racial issue with this iron fist character to address some of those issues you know yeah maybe it's one of those things where they'll turn their weakness into their greatest strength by doing it so well that everyone's like wow Wow. they'll surround him with incredibly three-dimensional asian characters so he doesn't mind so much so um what lily white actor have they got to play iron fist he's being played by someone called finn jones who you might recognize from game of thrones exactly he plays loris terrell the flower knight the gay knight the gay knight yes lover of our ex-tiffinian um buddy gethin 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 exactly so, yeah, I mean, it's they've set themselves a challenge. It'll be interesting to see how they dig themselves out of this hole. I mean, Marvel's got quite a consistent record of at least okay properties, so good luck to them, I say. But no Asian superheroes. No, still no Asian superheroes. That was, you know, that was something that came out of the Oscars diversity. Like, no roles for black actors, but, like, where are the roles for any other race? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's not just black people who are being sidelined. It's pretty much everyone that isn't white. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass quenchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, Goosebumps. It's been out for a while, but it's still playing, and I didn't want to see Grimsby, so Goosebumps <laughs> it was. So the plot is as follows. Teenager Zack, all American teenagers are called Zack for some reason. I've never met anyone called Zack in my life, <laughs> but in movies they're just called Zack. He moves to a new boring town with his mum, his dad having passed away prior to the start of the film. Things look up when he bonds with a pretty cute neighbour next door called Hannah. Hello. However, Hannah's dad, played by Jack Black, forbids Hannah from leaving the house. Oh Zack suspects that Hannah's dad is imprisoning her against her, her will, so he breaks in with the help of his comedy psychic friend Champ. <laughs> and uh, they discover a library of Goosebumps manuscripts and open one. However, the books are magic, and when you open them, the monster from the story escapes. It is revealed that Hannah's dad is R.L. Stein, author of the Goosebumps uh, series, and together, the three kids and uh, Jack Black have to imprison all the monsters back in the books. Awesome. Here is a clip of uh, R.L. Stein explaining what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing here? Go home! Not until you explain what's going on. I can't explain it. We were almost just eaten by Frosty the Snowman. So try! Okay, look! When I was younger, I created my own friends. Monsters. Demons. To terrorize my neighborhood and all the kids that made fun of me. And they became real to me. And then one day, they actually became... real. My monsters literally leapt off the page. As long as the books remain locked, we're safe. But when they open, well, 
you've just seen what happens. I love that clip. It really made me want to see the film. <laughs> yeah. Jump back sounds amazing. It's a it? lot of fun. It's a bit of a throwback in that it's basically the exact same premise as Jumanji, kind of splice of Hocus Pocus and a bit of Gremlins in, thrown in for good measure. And it's very much in the subgenre of films about plucky kids and their small town besieged by some malevolent force. I feel like that's been done to death slightly, but not recently. And so in the current... And also the last one's probably Super 8, which isn't so good. That isn't so good, no. space for a good version of that story. So it's quite an old-fashioned movie in that respect, but in the current climate of blockbusters, it feels quite uh, refreshing. Uh, did you read the Goosebumps books as a child? Not um, religiously, As a no. child? As a child. Did you read the Goosebumps books? Yeah, well, I did. I read a few. And uh, what were really good about them was that they really... You really pitched the tone well, where they were spooky and creepy, and they would uh, scare you, but then everything was resolved at the end, and it was like fine. You know, it was real like uh, safe horror. And this movie is a bit more uh, softer in its approach, and its emphasis is more on being bright and loud and loads of fun rather than actually being scary. Is it spooky? No, it's 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 too busy with like getting on with stuff. It's more of a chase movie for like large, large stretches of it. So. Things just burst through the window. There's no, like, suspense. Yeah, because the Goosebumps were, like... They they all seem like there could be a adult horror movie version of this. You know, sorry, had our, our adult horror novel, I guess, version of this. But that they sort of pared it down for kids or done, like, the kid's twist or something. Yeah, this one's much more adventure than horror, yeah. I would say. So uh, the premise is, like, just a ripoff of Jumanji. But it's, like, a fun premise. And it justifies what is quite a lazy device of just monsters show up if and when the plot is slowing down. Yeah. Uh, but that is like kind of the fun of the movie. And there's lots of fun sequences of monsters in domestic situations. So there's quite a good uh, fight in a kitchen against an army of garden gnomes, which uh, what's not to love. Sounds good. Garden gnome fight. It's been in the movie. Uh, the script has been in the work since the nineties. And I think you can sort of tell that there's been a few drafts and there's a few leftovers from different in- incarnations of the story. There's certain character things which are established at the beginning and uh, I've sort of forgotten about and then remembered and then forgotten about the kind of emotional plotline of Zach's recently deceased father is sort of like mentioned at the beginning at the end and it's like sort of quite clumsily thematically tied in but it's basically they all have character arcs but not the actual arc bit just the they, beginning they the still end. in one place and at the end it's like oh we're all different people now it's like really why it's like, you know just because it's a movie the kids are also kind of bland and the kind of archetypal roles of hero sparky love interest and uh, comic relief and the comic relief isn't that funny it's just more toothy yeah and a bit gawky that's sort of fine but uh they're having to work with the love interest plot line goes in a pretty weird direction which i'm not sure isn't entirely successful but i admired the film's gumption that it went there i was like that is weird their sister they're turning to be siblings <laughs> no, or, no it's not uh, like she's his no, mom or something? <laughs> i won't spoil it for you but it's quite odd okay um but the highlight is Jack Black and uh, he's such I always find him entertaining I know some people are a bit up and down about him and he's such a high energy performer that sometimes that can be a bit tiring but what's so fun about his performance is that he's like this, hor- this grump this hostile grump so all his energy is like contained he's like ready to like burst at any moment if anyone pisses him off and I just think Jack Black is like one of the best angry actors he's like he's a bit, he's a bit like Barry from Hyperdelly in some scenes which is like one of my favorite characters ever. Absolutely. There's also quite a smart decision to fill the supporting turns of really talented comedy actors. So uh, Timothy Simmons, who's Jonah from Veep, plays the sort of hapless sheriff. 
and uh, Gillian Bell, who was the villain in 22 Jump Street, the sort of uh, sociopath uh, the woman who's like the roommate who's always there. Yeah, and there's that amazing scene where she fights Jonah Hill, <laughs> but like Jonah Hill keeps thinking she's trying to kiss him. <laughs> yeah yeah uh but she plays zach's aunt and you get the sense all her lines are improvised and all hilarious what, like a- what i like about that casting as well is that they're all great comedy actors but they're not overused in movies it's not like oh they just got the person from that thing you yeah, know, yeah. They feel like they've sort of selected cool people who you don't see enough of yeah so they're gonna lift the movie and there's like some genuine like big laughs in it the thing about the goosebumps books and why there's like nine thousand of them is that they're kind of formulaic and all the sort of characters are pretty bland and they're just there to uh, be avatars for the audience and then the sort of same thing happens. And they've sort of copied that with the movie. So, like, you know, you could probably swap out any of these characters and the movie remain the, remain the same. It's just, like, the fun set pieces are what makes it and Jack Black's performance. So there's an attempt to sort of round out these weaknesses and but it doesn't really commit to it. But, you know, it's fun nevertheless. I had a lot of fun watching it. Cool. I would advise you watch it. I will. I promise. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough. Now back to film chat. So, Sam, you're single. I'm single. But how to be single? How does one be single? <laughs> I've been wrestling with that very question, but fortunately, a film came out with the title that was, you know, going to answer it. Brilliant. And I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this looks kind of fun. It looks like some sort of bridesmaids kind of sisterhood camaraderie film where they're all a bit raucous and they run around and fall over and make little gags. So I was like, great, let's go see this film. Um, It's about uh, a fun young woman called Alice, played by Dakota Johnson. And she is on a break from her college boyfriend of four years. And she starts work in New York where she meets a crazy party girl played by Rebel Wilson, who just does the exact thing that she does in every film. You know, Hollywood will let her be in movies, but you can only do that one thing, Rebel Wilson. Um, And she does that. And Robin encourages Dakota Johnson to embrace her new singleness with partying and drunken one night stands. And meanwhile, Alice's career driven sister, Meg, played by Leslie Mann, um, is thinking about having a baby. And an unconnected, separate person called Lucy, played by Alison Brie, um, wants a husband and is online dating, trying to get one. Here's a clip of Lucy explaining to a sexy bartender called Josh the demographics behind her hunt for a boyfriend in New York. What are you really doing online? I mean, you're a pretty girl. This is New York City. There's like a billion people outside that door. Yeah, but how many eligible people? Here. Okay, there are eight million people in this city. Sounds like a lot, right? Half of them are women, and as hard as I tried in college, I don't swing that way. So, four million men. And then you gotta have some age limits, let's say over 20, keep it legal. under 40. Keep it sexy. Now it's a million. Right. We're talking about a million guys. But half of them are married. 10% are gay. I want someone college educated, not too ugly, so. There's your boyfriend. I wish got to be taller than me and he's got to want kids so yeah i'm on 10 different dating websites to increase my odds whoa it's tough it's tough to be a single girl out there 
you know everyone there is gay old and ugly yeah (laughs) yeah but i didn't even when i was watching the movie i was like yeah but even after the last category there's probably loads of people left yeah yeah. you know there are still fucking loads of people tiny ugly married (laughs) gay men have you gone on a date with yeah so i really didn't like it and i think that part of the problem is to do with expectations and I was expecting Bridesmaids, but instead I got a kind of slightly more adventurous twist on he's just not that into you. Because I didn't know before going to see it that um, it's based on a novel by one of the co-authors of He's Just Not That Into You, uh, which is a very irritating title to say because <laughs> it's so clunky. He's just not into you. Yeah, and uh, and it's the writers of the movie, the same as the writers of that movie, which I've only seen a bit of, um, but I did read the bullshit dating advice book behind it and found it very irritating. So that sort of attitude and approach really primes me. It just irritates me. And it was very present in this film. And it made so much sense when I found out who made it, like who wrote it afterwards. <laughs> and it has it has the title of an instruction manual, and so you're thinking you're going to get something with a very clear message and that it's that message is probably going to be a celebration of being single. But instead, what you get is a bunch of very confused, half-baked narratives that don't really add up to much, but they certainly don't make being single look positive. No, and the main story, Dakota Johnson's one, if it's about anything, it's about how being single is horrible Um uh, but then at the end, there's a kind of narrated moral, like you get at the end of an episode of Scrubs, which basically she says, enjoy being single, it doesn't last forever. But that just does not cut it. It would be as if you took The Revenant and titled it The Joy of Camping, and then <laughs> just had Le- Leonardo DiCaprio turn to camera at the end and be like, actually, fighting bears is great! You know, it's about <laughs> as convincing as that. And the subplots, like the other stories, are even more down on being single. And they include this conventional rom-com ending where she meets the one and they live happily ever after. And why bother including that if your whole movie is about the opposite of that? You know? Yeah. It's absolutely very strange. I think somewhere in the film was the idea, which you sort of get towards the end, is that the character Dakota Johnson plays is sort of like, she defines herself by her relationships, which I think is something people do. Yeah. And the idea with the arc would be she learns to be single and like I don't need to immediately go from relationship to relationship to, you know, be happy. But that is completely <laughs> lost. And the only person who is happy being single is Rebel Wilson, and she is just portrayed as a crazy drunk. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's the main character who gets no development and no storyline to herself. And she's there to make jokes. Yeah. And no one is identifying with... You're not supposed to identify with her character, you know? Yeah, she's the she's, sort of comedy sidekick. Because this is like a sort of... Proposed to be like a sort of feminist movie. And uh, I feel like a lot of mainstream films which make that claim often have quite confused and bad messages about feminism. or And it confuses being independent with just being a jerk and uh, being selfish. Yeah. Like that's the same thing, equates them. And also somehow equates independence with uh, promiscuity. Like, if you're having sex with loads of guys, you're, like, taking control of your life. Because, you know, society, I'll sleep with whoever I want. It's like, you don't have to yeah. sleep with loads of people. Well, it's still, it's still centered around men. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, one boyfriend or 400. Well, I think that the, the issue with um, uh, the fact that they kind of act like jerks, I think that, like, it's not so much to do with the movie's attempt at being feminist. I just think that it's the attitude of these kinds of movies is a bit narcissistic 
the movie presents all its characters as being really nice and fun and cool, but they all act in this really manipulative, deceitful, selfish way, and it has this attitude towards human relationships, which is like, that's just how people behave, isn't it hilarious? Like, there's a bit <laughs> early on in the movie where the Playboy guy, there's a sort of, you know, ladies' man character, the bartender who was in the clip, and Rebel Wilson tells Dakota Johnson to get with him because he gets with everyone, and they do that, and then a woman comes over to them, and she slaps the sexy bartender. And Dakota Johnson is like, oh my god, did she slap you? What? <laughs> you know, and then they sort of carry on stalking and stuff like that. But I feel like the natural reaction would be like, oh shit, you probably have a girlfriend. You yeah. know, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. But, then, but <laughs> that kind of dick move happens constantly in the film. And people are constantly doing things where I see in the cinema like, why would you do that? What are you doing? <laughs> You know, and they're they're a bit unpleasant and it like portrays human relationships as though all you really need to do to be someone's best friend is just to be like, I'm your best friend, you know, and all you need to do to be really romantic is just be like, I'm here for you, you know, (laughs) but no one actually has to do anything. They don't have to sacrifice anything. They don't have to make any hard decisions about anyone except themselves. And it presents this vision of a world in which you get to be a narcissistic douche and no one minds. Yeah. And that's just not how things work. And it, it's irritating. Yeah. I think regardless of the messages of the film or the lack of them, it also just d- doesn't work on a basic story basis. Like there's these f- four plot lines which into which kind of, you know, get forget about, forgotten about and remembered, you know, whenever the movie sort of dis- remembers. It's yeah. like a sort of old man telling a story. And uh, it basically there's no real plot or dramatic stakes, as you're saying. And the scenes are often like wholly contained onto themselves so they become superfluous. It's like you could have just cut that scene and the movie would make sense. And that's true of a lot of scenes. <laughs> and there's also um, entire relationships that sort of skip past. You get like the meet cute scene and like the breakup scene. It's like Brett is like, well, who was that guy? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, they just met. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the characters don't make any sense, but it's particularly evident in the love interests who all come across as like sociopaths. They're all insane. <laughs> the the bar guy is so keen <laughs> for his conquest not to stay around. She's like, how do you make make sure they leave? And he's like, check out my fridge. No food in here. It's like, <laughs> you want a glass of water? Opens up the cabinets. There are no glasses. It's just my clothes I keep in here. It's like, I'll just drink from the tap. The tap is turned off. <laughs> There's no running water in my apartment. Because as we all know, a woman will die of thirst. You're like, I gotta go get a glass of water. I can't spoon you leave. anymore. I gotta yeah. leave. So like, this guy's obviously fucking insane he should be yeah. sectioned and the movie kind of presents that as like a sort of funny character beat but you're sitting there like he is a psycho <laughs> get out of there now <laughs> please the leslie mann love interest is like i love you he just so turns up at a flat <laughs> after she explicitly told him to leave her alone he's like i i knew you actually liked me so i bought you this it's like actually yeah you're right despite doing the opposite of what I just told you, I've fallen for you. You're yeah. like, he's a well, stalker. He, his character, it just made absolutely no sense. I mean, not only was he a sort of crazy stalker, but he was also just like, he loved her immediately for no reason and just didn't stop. He's like a dog. It doesn't make, you know, yeah. what? I feel like the writer has written the perfect man, but this man is does, doesn't exist. Yeah. I've never related less to a group of male <laughs> characters in a film. I was sitting in the cinema watching them like, I, I, I'm not the same species as these people. And if there are, like, vast swathes of women out there who just think men are like this, then I will die alone. Because, <laughs> because like, I just cannot, I just don't understand, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's odd. I mean, it's like, 
I'm glad that this film, which is the most mainstreamiest kind of American rom-com possible, at least is nodding towards these more feminist ideas about not needing to be with a man, even if it's doing it in a very ham-fisted way. But it's a little bit like the magazine article that is telling you, you know, learn to love your body by buying these expensive clothes and applying 800 kinds of ointments and creams, you know? <laughs> and so, and potions. <laughs> yeah, so in that way, it's like, it seems like kind of a con but it is at least paying lip service to a good idea. So I guess that's a sort of progress. In that way, it's a bit better than um, he's just not that into you. you know? Yeah. I think, you know, we're on season five of Girls now. If this had come out 10 years ago, it might have had something to do. Yeah. But now it's just like, it feels very like trying to be modern, but actually like years behind yeah. in terms of the attitudes of the yeah filmmakers i would i think it's probably worth saying we've really shat on it a lot but there are some <laughs> funny moments we both laughed a few times that yeah. the central four women all do really good performances even though they have, don't have anything to work with and uh some bits of it were pretty funny like deliberately and some bits of it were funny just like what the fuck uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it's not like really dreadful but it's the things that are annoying i found very annoying but there was a group of girls behind us who seemed to get a big kick out of it so oh, yeah, what do we yeah. know every time there was a romantic bit they were like oh there was one bit where um, Dakota Johnson seemed like she was going to end up with her lame old boyfriend and the girl behind us was like, don't go out with him, no! You know. <laughs> sort of Monty Python-esque crone. <laughs> just Terry Jones behind us. <laughs> I, think, I think it might have been Terry Jones in drag, actually. Kind of think of it. <laughs> when Zach Raff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe one of the reasons that we were so hard on that movie is that I have an undeclared interest. Okay, I am currently writing my own script. And I was very disappointed at the similarities when this movie came out. So I'm doing a film about a bunch of single girls. It's called How to Be Ready to Mingle. And it's a fun exploration of being young and single. Oh, my God. And what, and what it's like. And it's about, like, dating and, like, what men are, you know, like, when you awesome. date. And yeah, what yeah. men are like when you date them and, like, what That's the crazy shit they do. Great hook. Yeah. And it's very perceptive, you know. And a lot of women have already written to me saying how useful they found it. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, I've shown it to a few women. Um, got it out there amongst the women. Put it on mum's net. <laughs> got some very good feedback. Um, so anyway, I've got to strike while the island is hot. You know, the uh, how to be singles out there. It's probably raking in the big single dollars. Um, and I'm going to, you know, I've already made a scene of it. And you're going to hear it in an exclusive little clip. I hope you Brilliant. like it, Danny. I think there's some good stuff in there for you. You might learn something. So enjoy that, and then uh, we'll see you next week. We've got some good movies coming out. Hail yeah. Caesar. So some real proper good films next week. Woo! Ooh. See you then. Bye. Hey there. What's a beautiful girl like you doing here alone? Uh, uh, having coffee? Your boyfriend hates coffee, huh? Surely a pretty thing like you can't be ready to mingle. Actually, um, I've been ready to mingle for a while. You poor, miserable hottie. You must hate yourself. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally fine. Your bravery is inspiring. Hey, look, I'm ready to mingle myself. Maybe I can teach you how to be good at it. 
All right. What do you suggest? Well, for starters, get out there and have some fun. Me? I bang chicks all the time. I bang 30 chicks at lunch. I really don't want that. Uh, I'd rather wait, meet the right guy, and then get married. Boom! Someone dropped the M-bomb. I hope you don't tell guys that. Isn't it good to be honest about what I want? Is it good to make a man leap out of his fucking skin? Let me tell you something about guys, honey. You won't have heard this before. Most guys keep it a secret. But I'm going to tell you. Can't wait. Men only want sex. They're obsessed with it. People say that all the time. And they hate commitment. He wants you to fuck him and then leave immediately. Every second you stay after sex is like a choking, poisonous fog filling his eyes and mouth. Are you sure about that? That's just how it is. The difference is, I'm honest about it. I tell girls all the time, right in the middle of manipulating them into bed, but they don't want to hear it. Really? Check this out. What's up, sexy? I meet a lot of girls, but you're different. You're unforgettable. You're unique. I want you, angel. But I'm going through a lot of serious stuff right now, so sometimes I might need a little space. Want a bone? You're sweet. Let's hump each other blind and hang out constantly. You should be my date at my grandfather's funeral. Oh, God. (sighs) Sure. See? That was, uh, weird. Weird? That's how we're wired. An anagram of the word weird. My whole place is rigged so girls can't stay there. The floor is covered in rough gravel that hurts to walk on. I got a heap of dead rats rotting in one corner. Plus, the air is filled with carbon monoxide. If you stay more than one minute, you pass out and die. But one minute is all I need. How come you don't die? Gas mask, girl. You're completely unhinged. All men are like me. So what should I do? I don't want to bang you in your terrifying flat. My advice? Carry on as normal until the perfect man suddenly turns up. Wait, I thought you were going to teach me how to be ready to mingle. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, Don't worry, I read something about that scrawled on the wall of a toilet cubicle. Listen up. You might only be truly ready to mingle for one moment in your life. Why not make the most of it? What? It all comes down to that one moment. I haven't had a boyfriend for five years. Embrace the solitude. I have no idea what that means. Well, okay. You're a total killjoy. All right, let me change my advice. Get a boyfriend, even if he's complete trash. You need one and you'll fit in more. You have been no help whatsoever. Okay, Moaning Myrtle. I gotta go. Come by later if you want a bone. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.